Hello, Eden. Uh, welcome to the Patterpod. Hello. Thank you so much. <laughs> How are you today? Yeah, very well, thank you. I've actually, no, I've, I've, I've been nervous, to be honest. I've been nervous. You know, there's going to be oh, really? soul-bearing and, well, essentially public speaking, I suppose. It's, um, it's a biggie. Okay, well, there's nothing to be worried about. <laughs> Whereabouts are you right now? I actually, I managed to escape London and, and get all the way to Bath. So I've, I've been with my mum in her, her house in Bath. And yeah, oh, I was in a nice. hall of residence in London and they, well, actually, it, it, it took them a while to cave to the pressure of other places doing this, but they, they let us off our, our third term, kind of final third of the contract. So I was able to, to escape. Oh, brilliant. Mm. Lovely. So tell the listeners how we know each other. Oh, Alex Patterson. Let's begin. Um, I first met Alex um, when I came to Nottingham to go to uni and I'd done a little bit of choral singing in school and I got into it, which I'll, I'll probably talk about later at some point. And um, someone else in the music department, Amy Summers, funnily enough, who we, we both became good friends with, um, said, St. Barnabas Cathedral offers choral scholarships. And I said, well, that's very interesting. Why are you telling me? But yeah, I, I went along, just, you know, thought it was worth a try. And I think because I was a, an almost sort of tenor, um, there's always generally quite a few vacancies for that. So yeah, well, yeah, I think I was I was good enough to, to get a choral scholarship. So yeah, I spent, spent the first year singing there. And I'd had an interest in, in conducting as well at that point. And towards the end of that first year, Alex encouraged me to go along with him to a uh, convention where lots of choral directors and choirs meet and learn from each other and discuss things. Yes, so that was the ABCD convention, which is the Association of British Choral Directors. So we went along and it was transformative. And um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really kind of cemented my my ambitions in a way. And yeah, sure, I think yeah, it was shortly after that that um, I was promoted from choral scholar to assistant director of music. And our relationship continued. Uh, it did. Um, I love how you refer to me in the third person. You make me sound like, I don't know. Yeah, I was very serious. <laughs> love it. You are now currently based in London. Yeah, again, I, I suppose, yeah, leading smoothly on from, from ABCD. When, I, when Alex and I went there, there was a, a choir from uh, Louisiana State University doing the... Um, this special concert on the Saturday and lots of workshops and they were fantastic and just completely changed my views on it all and my enjoyment of it and yeah just found them incredibly inspiring so actually my my original plan was to go and try and uh, do a postgrad do a master's with them over in Louisiana with a wonderful man named John Dixon and it was all going really well and I auditioned and it was all going fine and I was eligible for a, a funding award and uh and then it's stopped going so well. Um, and uh, yeah, it kind of got to the point where I I needed to, to make a decision really. Otherwise, the year that was coming up, I'd have either Louisiana or no options at all, really. So I'd, I had to kind of pull the plug and um, spent a few months dilly-dallying. And then um, was, was, I guess, sort of pressured by my mum and associated supporters uh, to <laughs> apply to Royal Academy of Music for choral conducting. And I think because of rock bottom expectations I was uh more relaxed than I normally would be and did quite well so that's what I'm up to at the moment in London <laughs> and how are you finding because it's all continuing but virtually because of mm. COVID-19 and how are you finding that oh, honestly um really good 
it's um <laughs> <laughs> i mean there's there's pros and cons of course but I, the, the way we normally do it is is we have us all together as a group which is really valuable because you've got people uh bouncing off you and responding to what you're doing or not doing and you know you learn a lot that way and it's 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 really kind of applied but actually stripping it back to to doing things over zoom and just having it as a, a one-on-one thing and kind of um conducting silence as opposed to people can actually reveal mm-hmm. a lot about what you're again doing or not doing and i think it's it's really good to just have both disciplines actually and, and the, the one-on-one thing is not something i've done much of before and i mean i've i've developed enormously in the last couple of months and uh i think also as well it's great to not have other people in the room that you're comparing yourself to frankly so i've yeah i felt more motivated i've been doing more so actually it's it's been great. <laughs> I'm worried about going back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that does sound like a very positive experience mm. and a useful process to go through and will probably stand you in good stead when you do eventually go back. Yeah, I think so. It's, it's something to build on, certainly, but it's it's been great to be able to to get something really, really positive out of it. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think it'll good. it'll be fine. I'll, I'll, I'll work my way back in. <laughs> You'll be great. And... After that, what's your sort of, do you have any thoughts about beyond postgrad? No. Um... <laughs> the end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it changes every day, honestly. I think I'll, I'll probably freelance like many people in my position do. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll have a hand in, you know, maybe, maybe a bit of church music, you know, the odd amateur choral society or chamber choir, you know, and it'd be great if I could work with a few professional singers as well. But, um, and, and then I think the other half of that, coin will really be things like prison choirs dementia choirs office choirs um mm. you know people who are who are more you know starting their their singing journey and um yeah i did a, a project at, at glyndebourne opera house this year with people with dementia and their carers and it was all about retelling mozart's the magic flute and you know so teaching little bits of singing and movement work and storytelling and and model making and all sorts so um and yeah, it, it was it was fantastic. So I, th- I think that's that's really confirmed that I need to have quite a a varied career. I think. Yeah, I think that's well. I think it just helps to have quite a varied career because I think you get quite a lot out of doing that work in the community. Whether that's um, going into prisons, working with children with special needs, or anything like that, and it's so good to have the balance between that and having actually quite a good chamber choir that you don't need to spend time like note bashing and doing stuff with sure i've heard other people say that who've gone yeah i i need just to have a session with really good singers who know exactly what they're doing Mm. and just sing with some really good music in order for me to go back and do work with children in care or homeless people or anything like that yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and I I wonder if you'd agree with this, but I think you know it, it it's it's such a a kind of lonely role in many ways, and you have to you have to give so much, and it it can often be underestimated uh, just how much you're giving in terms of mm. you know just just being so vulnerable in front of a, a group of people who you know expect X Y and Z from you, and um, yeah, you know can often have quite strong opinions about whether you're delivering those things. <laughs> And, yeah. <laughs> uh, so actually, yeah, just just and not having to go go back to the same group regularly uh, with all that those histories and opinions and personalities, I think it's just really healthy. Choral music and conducting isn't all that you do, though, is it musically? No, it's 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 not. And I, 
it's it's been interesting compiling this this list of tracks that we're going to go through today because not one of them is a, a choral piece. Mm. And that was a shock. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I wonder if if partly it's a symptom of I, th- I think uh, often people find you know whenever you do anything as a kind of professional or full time focus, it can really change your relationship with it. And I think it's really important to try and to try and keep a a healthy kind of joyful relationship with it but i i have found that difficult and that's that's something i'm i'm kind of um working on at the moment uh to kind of reconnect with with the reasons i fell in love with it in the first place but mm-hmm. yeah on that note the other things that have maybe taken its place while that's been going on have um i mean piano music has been piano is the first instrument i started learning and and played up until about the age of 22 i suppose and then had a couple of years off and just getting back into it now really and yeah a lot of a lot of singing but in in different styles you know pop and rock and again that's that's really really how i got into to music was through through those genres really rather than classical so can you tell us a bit about your taste in music what do you like what do you not like uh, i think probably the the most long term i suppose defining genre that I was into was was heavy metal I suppose and I I I spent most of my teens in Bath which is just next door to Bristol and yeah I'd often I'd often hop on the train go over to the O2 Academy in Bristol and get pushed around by beardy tattooed men and then uh (laughs) then come home again yeah I I loved it and I think I think for me it was um I think the thing with with metal in particular is it's um it's it's also a sort of community and identity in ways that that other other genres aren't, and I think it's it's like it was decades ago. I think you know people, you know, a good question to ask on a first date would be, "What music are you into?" Whereas now that's a terrible question, and it ends there and then. But um, you mm-hmm. know, people really identified with the things they listen to, and I think I think metal is the last um, the last stronghold of that in in some ways. Maybe not the last, but one of the last. So yeah, that was you know a good a good 10 year of my 10 years of my teens and it was helpful that it reflected the the classic angst as well so that kind of went hand in hand um and uh kept me there but it 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 really does it really does branch off i mean it, within within classical i think piano music choral and and recently orchestral have have been mainstays yeah but i i think i think metal really is the the definitive one okay Interesting. I can totally picture it actually. Uh, well, I've I've had I've had black hair twice and both were just a <laughs> mistake. So <laughs> you know, third time lucky. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> very long at the moment, so now now would be the time, that's for sure. Okay, uh let's have a look at your seven tracks. Okay. Tell us about your first track, please, Eden. So I've I've taken a bit of a, a chronological approach and um i think for me it all it all starts with uh with my mum and as a, as a little, little bit of background for for why it's significant she um she came from a kind of working class family in swindon very few uh you know expectations or or prospects really uh did the classic leaving school at 16 uh somehow became a computer programmer shortly afterwards and was doing quite well in that. Your mum did? Yeah, she, she was programmer for about 10 years, actually. Oh, wow, and, I didn't um, know that. Yeah, but it, it was going really well, and then she decided to throw it all away. Um, <laughs> and uh, for, for good reasons. She, her, her father was, um, was a diabetic who didn't really look after himself properly. 
and she was one of five with a very stressed mother and she ended up spending a lot of her kind of late teens early 20s essentially looking after her dad while while he was having hypos on the street because he wasn't um looking after himself um so i think that that kind of triggered an interest in medicine but yeah she was she was laughed out of the door when whenever that was expressed to, to teachers or anything so anyway she was working programming and you know i think couple of her siblings having a a bit of a hard time and you know but life was going on and she was she was hanging out with people far older than her you know one of her brother's friends and just kind of in the the Swindon the Swindon scene but uh, eventually decided to to kind of go back to school and and did her A-levels as night classes and then went off to Leeds Medical School at about 28 and then had me in her third year because she loves the challenge and then shortly after that we moved down to Swindon so yeah, and around that time, her and my her and my father broke up when I was about four, and we're still in touch. But it's it's yeah, mum and I have spent a lot of time together, and um, yeah, yeah, we're we're very very close. And anyway, as a result of her somehow managing to get into medicine, she you know made decent money, and then sent me off to a school to the horror of my um fairly left wing anti religious family. Uh, <laughs> and you're off to the kind of school where doing things like piano and violin lessons is quite normal. Yeah, and uh, yeah, haven't haven't really come from a musical family either. Uh, an uncle on my dad's side is is pretty musical, and my dad does a little bit. But yeah, certainly wasn't wasn't the routine. But she got me learning piano at, when I was about seven, and then yeah. violin at eight. And long story long, that is what brings us to our our first track, which is. Uh, Vivaldi's Violin Concerto Number no. Two, which is is summer from the the Four Seasons, which, well, I don't really care what anyone says. I think they're great, and I think their popularity is is more testament to that than not. <laughs> no, I agree with you, and I think there's a reason why it's lasted that long, and why it is played, and why it is connecting with so many people. So there's nothing to be sort of ashamed about or anything about that. Well, it um, it, it gets worse because um, the <laughs> apparently I have no idea where this is going. I like, cannot wait. <laughs> oh, well, the, the the recording we we knew and loved and that we had in in the car uh, was was Nigel Kennedy's, uh, not the one with the English Chamber Orchestra from '89 because that's that's the one that really kind of. Um, you know, skyrocketed it to, to popularity. You know, sold over a couple of yeah. copies. Uh, but we we had the the one he did with the the Berlin Phil uh, some years later. But it, it's great because he he plays it like it's you know he he I can't remember the, what exactly he said about it, but he he plays old music, but from a modern perspective on a modern instrument and in a modern way. Mm-hmm. And I think you know if it was, I think it, it can be very interesting to to recreate things as they might have happened at the time. But I, I think it's just as valid to, to kind of transpose it into, into our modern, our modern times really. Um, and it's, it's a great recording. It's just, it's full of fire and fury and just great sounds that you do not normally hear come out of a, a classical violin player's instrument. <laughs> I think it's really interesting to see how different people interpret things and Nigel Kinsey has done so much in terms of bringing old, dead music to a brand new audience and people who probably didn't think it was for them and perform it in a really engaging way. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I, I think one of the w- main ways he does that, just like uh, James Rhodes, who I'll speak about later as well, um, is I think it's just reminding yourself that these were 
you know, these were real people way back then who, you know, had hopes and dreams and triumphs and disappointments. And, you know, if, if you can if you can read a story into it, then, you know, who knows what was going on in someone's head or what something might have meant to them or otherwise. But I think it's I think we because of partly because of the pictures we see of um, the olden people. We, we see them as these very kind of almost almost paintings rather than people. Yeah, and there's such a duty to bring that alive yeah, through music. I think so. So as a result of, of us listening to that all the time, I, you know, both of us were, were kind of inspired to learn the violin. And I think that was from 2003, which would have been when I was eight, and that is when I started having lessons. Oh my um, gosh, you're so young. So, <laughs> so yeah, mum and I studied when we, we both went to, uh, we had the same teacher, lovely, lovely Rachel, who we're still very good friends with. Um, we both went to grade five and then mum's life got busy. Um, I, I did carry it on for a few more years and it's I haven't played for properly for a long time now. But um, yeah, we, we did that together. And I think I think as a result, it's it's the best symbol I can find for for me and my mum's relationship. And just, um, yeah, you know, just reminds me of what Aww. a formidable woman she is and how, how close <laughs> we are, really. So that's that's why this this one starts it all. movement this one <laughs> yeah it reflects that pretty well i think <laughs> yeah so you and your mum don't play sort of violin duets you know when they're together uh we we used to there's there's the old memory but no we 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 don't do so much music anymore i think she'd love to get back into it but she's she's just been so busy and and you know funnily enough through through that violin teacher when 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 rachel got married my mum went to the wedding and uh michael who was Rachel's friend from New York uh, was at the wedding as well, and that's when Mum met Michael, who is now my stepfather. And uh, he was still living in New York at the time, so they they ended up getting into a, a transatlantic relationship, and they did marry uh, when I was 14, 15. They just had their 10-year anniversary very recently. So anyway, she you know she was busy doing that and being a doctor and um, you know working really hard to support the. <laughs> the education choice she'd made for me um, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, so violin took a back seat quite quickly after. But you know, she got grade five, which is, you know, no mean feat. Yeah. Mm. So uh, your next track is something really quite different. Mm. Yeah, this next track is Fool's Gold by Passenger. And, oh God, I mean, there, there are about 15 of his songs that, that could have made this, but I think I think this one's just uh, a good intro really to to a lot of his other stuff rather than being necessarily the most pertinent for me but passenger i think along along with my my metal phase he he kind of went hand in hand with that so yeah for the last sort of 10 12 years he's been a real uh, just a kind of he's the, he's the thread that's connected all my different life experiences good and bad and it's just it kind of ties them all together he's kind of he's been a, a constant and consistent accompaniment to it all really and i yeah i i love him because i i think he's He's one of these, I suppose, musical poets in the same way that you might think of people like Bob Dylan or Leonard Cohen, perhaps. 
But I think yeah. he's he might not be quite the poet Leonard Cohen is, but equally Leonard Cohen was a lot older, um, so he's got some time yet. <laughs> uh, but he is he is I think objectively more musical, um, and I think it's he fuses it so well, and just the way the the music complements the poetry is what yeah. makes it brilliant. And people are very quick to to criticize him for maybe a lack of you know, not using enough chords or something. And I think they're just really missing the point. I think he's he's just one of the absolute jewels of our, our present musical culture. So yeah, he's he's just, he's always been there really. <laughs> so he had to, okay. he had to feature. Can't you show me something I've not seen before Magic tricks and pirate ships They just don't work no more I've given up on treasure chests That wash upon the shore For fool's gold never seems to keep its shine Can't you give me something I can hold in my hands I'm sick of gold rush promises Empty suitcase plans I won't go back to treasure maps And digging in the sand For I always seem to lose Whatever I find Yeah, and why, why the song? Honestly, it's just a, a bit of a gamble, really. I, I love it. I've always <laughs> loved it. I think um, I love the whole album. It's from it's from an album called "Young as the Morning, Old as the Sea," which I think um, tells you much about his poetic predilections, as you need to know, really. It's just a great song, and again, it, it was just a, I kind of drew one out of a hat because there's so many that I love in a significant and different ways. But there's no there's no story attached to this one, really. It's more him as an artist. Well, that's important, you know. Yeah, it is. I think. Um, yeah, it's really important to me that I, I like the people who create the things I listen to. I, I, I find it difficult to separate the person from the music, whether that's composer or performer. Yeah, no, I think that's really, I think that's really interesting. And I've always found with any pieces of music, I'm always fascinated about the artist who wrote it, why they wrote it, what was going on at the time, where does this piece sit within their lifetime? and having that context is really important and you can just get deeper into their sort of psyche at the time i guess yeah i, I totally agree i mean there's the, the there's a classic example that i remember studying at, at nottingham and it was it was about some of the the schubert piano sonatas and one of them was nicknamed the, the syphilis sonata because it was you know the last couple of years of his life and it was when he you know we think he had syphilis and it's you know this angsty fiery thing and people see it as a a complete reflection of that and you know, it might have been, or it might not have been, but yeah, I think it's, you know, how it, whichever direction you go with that, I think it is always interesting to just imagine, you know, what what he was going through on a on a day to day basis while he was writing it. You know, where was he itching or scratching? Was he you know, getting a bit frustrated? <laughs> and you know, I think it's it must have, you know, even if it wasn't written with the intention of representing that, I think it's it's always an expression of self in some sense. <laughs> Sorry just to laugh the whole way through that. No, but, no, it's great. Um, Makes me sound very funny. <laughs> I'm a bit clueless about Schubert. I did know he, about the syphilis thing, um, but I didn't know about this sonata. So that's 
fascinating, really. Yeah, it's one of um, it's one of the late um, A minor ones, I think. I think there's a couple, but um, yeah, it's those those last handful. Um, hmm. It's, it's been a while. I'm, I, I, I've, I've lost touch with it all a little bit these days, but um, yeah, yeah, it was something that always was always going to use as an example of when we were kind of discussing <laughs> discussing that concept. Yeah, um, well, it yeah. sounds like you should stay well clear. Yeah, you don't know what you might catch. <laughs> Okay, tell us about your next track. Next track is the the second movement from Shostakovich's second piano concerto, and mm. for me, it's it's another symbol. It's a reminder of uh, I think a particularly good time in my life. Uh, I think probably the the healthiest and most successful couple of years I've had. I reckon. Um, okay, and I I think I I value that so much because it was off. It was kind of bookended by slightly less um halcyon days um so yeah i i, I just started a levels and I, I thought i'd follow in mum's footsteps and do medicine and i i loved the show scrubs as well so very naively thought that uh life would be like that um and uh but yeah it, it went a bit south you know i had bucketfuls of teenage angst and you know nothing particularly unusual really other than other than i think my mum's movements really i mean she was at that point she was still back and forth from new york even though uh, her and Michael were married, but uh, he mm-hmm. had a son over there, and she had a son here. So you know, it was um, that was the situation. But uh, yeah, Michael, in his in his divorce from his first wife, had um, essentially, I think, kind of lost his business, so kind of started another one from scratch. But you know, it was it was a tough time to be to be getting into stuff, and um, oh, it was just a gorgeous business. He makes beautiful furniture and artwork and everything, but it was. Yeah, it was in a it was in a pricey New York district in, in Chelsea, I think. And uh yeah, the money just kept bleeding out really. Um so yeah. she was uh, you know, trying to help him out with that and we you know, she was taking out loans to try and keep it afloat and everything and by you know, after a couple of years got into the most crippling debt. And uh so you know that it affected me and you know, things were stressful and you know, I felt horrible because I was going to this fancy school and everything and she was still finding a way to to fund it rather than kind of take me out halfway through. So yeah, it was, it was a stressful time. It was a, it was a bit of a flop of a year. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it, it got to the end and I, I got my grades back and I thought, oh, well, that's a complete disaster. Certainly not doing medicine with them. Um, <laughs> so rather than, yeah. rather than press on and try and retake them and everything. And I, I actually had two, two wonderful teachers, um, Mr. Knights and Langley, who, and you know, between us, we had this, we had this great idea of actually just kind of starting from scratch which wasn't really something that had happened in, in a school like that or in that school in particular right. before. Yeah. So yeah, it was big news. And, you know, to begin with, I was, I was kind of mortified and, you know, I thought it was a great idea and stuff, but it was um, mightily embarrassing. But in the process, I, I switched from the sciences to um, music, English, philosophy, you know, things I was actually uh, good at, which was a, a fairly wise decision. And along with that came a complete kind of personality transplant as well. And I think, those two teachers taught me how to really kind of exude positivity and as a result you know positivity was reflected back at me and yeah I really rode that wave that they set up for me got a music scholarship which helped my mum out and that's that's really when you know everything started to kind of pave the way to where I am now really I got into 
singing classically, um, whereas before it had just been a, a fun hobby. Yeah, the school singing teacher saw me at an open mic and, you know, expressed an interest in teaching me. So that, that all started. And then as a result, opera, musical theatre, choirs, and then conducting, etc., etc. Um, and yeah, it, it was a great couple of years. I was, I was happy and successful. And this is the piece that I played um, at the end of those two years at a, a Leavers concert. Um, and they, oh, I mean, it was, it was a, a so, so privileged and fortunate. You know, they, they hired a, a little orchestra, a little chamber orchestra to, to play with me and everything. It was, it was a great moment. Um, so again, this, this piece is a symbol of, I suppose, how good life can be and, you know, the, that person that I was and actually, you know, it, it reminds me that I can, I can go and be that person again if I, if I feel like I need to. Mm. It's amazing that you say that the music being a symbol of how good life can be when it's composed by someone like Shostakovich, who <laughs> <laughs> had had really quite a hard life. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's great though. It's, it's really good. Yeah, well, it's, um, I think it's particularly lovely because he actually wrote it for his own son's graduation from high school. I think. Um, yeah. So it's it's got that nice kind of tie as well. But yeah, it's it's that's a good point. <laughs> that moment when the piano comes in. The strings have just been playing in a minor key and then suddenly the piano comes in and it's major and it sounds like a very simple yeah <laughs> naive sort of thing but it's just beautiful it really is and it's it's it, it like you said it might well be a, a kind of simple thing but it's set up in such a good way and it's it's just really mm. convincing and it's it's a great effect yeah it's it's really creative i think it's yeah i love it lovely uh tell us about your next track so my next track it is exist by avenge sevenfold who are one of those metal bands that i was i was listening to for years and years and years i've i've followed them for ages and this is one of, from one of their more recent albums um and it's the the ending track of the album it's 15 minutes long and the, yeah the, the album as a whole is is kind of about um about space and time and the universe and AI and uh, just, yeah, it's, it's kind of futuristic. And I think musically it's, it's the kind of culmination and apex of all their work, really. It's just, it's, you, if you listen to all their, their albums, they're all wildly different stylistically, but it's, you know, they're, they're growing and learning just like everyone else. And it's, it's just, you know, it gets more and more kind of refined and complex. And I think this is the real, mm. you know, flag in the, the mountaintop for that. And I think the, the reason I, I love this the most is, um, 
It's got a three and a half minute speech over the last bit of music written and delivered by Neil deGrasse Tyson, the astrophysicist. And oh, wow. yeah, they, they originally wanted to, to use Carl Sagan's pale blue dot speech, uh, but couldn't okay. because of legal reasons or something. Um, so yeah, they just emailed Neil, as you do, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he was very enthusiastic about, about helping them out. So it's, it's, a, it's a, I think, my favourite fusion. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's, it's a great speech. I mean, the, it's, it's just about, what does he say, embracing the cosmic perspective and fitting neither above nor below, but within. And yeah, just it, it just really reminds myself and others what's what's really important and what's really worth fighting for and um and yeah keeps me grounded keeps things in perspective and i I really value that i didn't know this track but uh when i listened to it earlier uh it reminded me of muse Mm, Um, yeah just sort of reminded me of that yeah they're a great band I i think it's you know all the kind of the little um kind of fiddly guitar lines sound almost like kind of the sort of synthesizers you'd hear on, you know, I think uh, like Bliss by Muse, it reminds me of that, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, great band. I mean, that's that, that was another, um, Absolution was another album that mum and I had in the car and would just play all the time. So, yeah, great uh, album. Great album. <laughs> that's so good. I'm gonna, I haven't listened to Muse in ages and actually I'm, I think I'm in that sort of mood right now. Yeah. I shall put that on for later. So will I. <laughs> <laughs> So 15 minutes long, you said? Yeah, it's a bit of an epic. It's a bit of an epic. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's it's kind of proggy, prog prog rock, prog metal sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. Which I'm not normally into because it can often be a little bit um, irritating. So, uh, <laughs> but I think, yeah, they've, they've, they've done it well. <laughs> about your next track there Eden <laughs> I might keep that in I think that's quite fun so would you would you like me to tell you about my, my next track Alex <laughs> please do no that's <laughs> yeah tell us about your next one go on just speak cool um, <laughs> well I'm, I think I'm, I'm a bit of a broken record as well we've got Paris by the 1975 which again is another symbol 
<laughs> so this one, uh, I think, summarises my my four years in Nottingham, I think. And uh, yeah, my, my life there. And I, I think like, like my A-levels, it was another one of these kind of uh, fresh start things. I had a bit of a, a another year that went a bit south for various reasons, and uh, you know turned up new people, new place, um, new me, and uh, yeah, just decided to reinvent myself again, I suppose, and that went really well for a while, and then I met Sam Wilson, um, who you all know. From- <laughs> 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 you all know from mm-hmm. uh from the cathedral as well uh yeah great yeah. musician good a good singer great piano player fantastic ears um but uh yeah things didn't work out but hey um <laughs> this is this is way too harsh on him way too harsh on him let me he he is my my best friend in the whole wide world i love him to bits and um you know it's it's i think it's one of those things you know we we became great friends um from about my second year onwards and and it was great you know i'd i'd yeah it just you know real kind of meeting of minds and yeah just got up to so much fun and but in in the process you know not through the the healthiest um methods perhaps okay and you know just so many just crazy stories and nights and adventures um you know i i I love him and i I love those times um but it's yeah many are a little bit um surreal and a little bit, a little bit scary to think about sometimes. Just you know, just how. <laughs> and I think you know, university culture and part in general is just actually it's, it can be quite extreme. Um, you know, yeah. people, people get into trouble, <laughs> and, uh, and it's just you know, it's so normalised. Um, and I, I certainly kind of fell into that trap a little bit, and yeah, pushed that to to the limit a tad. But anyway, he he introduced me to this this song, Paris, and. Um, he was uh, he was very geeky about it to begin with. He said, "Oh, it's great! It's, it's got a it's got a C pedal that goes through the whole song, and the harmony just <laughs> on it." And I thought, "Okay, that's great." But actually, it is it is it is great. It's a, it's a really cool effect, um, and I totally agree with him. But uh, yeah, it's it's it tells a great story. I I love the lyrics. I love the I love the delivery of it. I love the kind of um, oh, I don't know, not glamour necessarily, but it's kind of it's that kind of grungy lifestyle where you know you're not making particularly good decisions or living particularly healthily but it's all quite you know you like when you imagine yourself in a, in a movie perhaps or something um a mm. little bit which which you know i think is the honest thing the honest way of saying it. i think we all do do that from time to time but yeah probably not not a very good idea but uh <laughs> yeah we'd um you know go out and get up to whatever and then uh yeah, we'd we'd often just it would be our a staple of of a song we'd play once we'd once we'd returned home and uh, mm. yeah, it's just a it's it's just all to do with that really and just the you know the the good times but also the the messy times and the, the times I'm glad not to be living in again really. But yeah, I, I visited Nottingham a few months ago and happened to just be listening to this as the the train pulled in and yeah, that was a it was a really kind of painful moment. You know, I mean, Sam lives in London now and we're we're still best friends and. I see him and my other housemates regularly, but um, yeah, you know, I, I miss him and the, you know, the lives we we lived, you know, however <laughs> dysfunctional they were at times. But you know, he's doing good things and I'm I'm doing all right things. So it's well, no, it's just amazing how that period of your life does stick with you. As much as I despise Facebook, and <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it can be quite fun 
when you've got the Facebook memories that take you back to that time, because I was way more prolific on Facebook when I was a student <laughs> and not in a good way. Um, but it also Facebook is quite good at reminding you about those random nights out that you got to know someone really well with that you met someone for the first time. And I mean, for university, for me, it was incredibly character building and a lot of things happened uh, <laughs> during my time there. Sure. I mean, that was, that was the first time you'd, you'd left Ireland, was it? Or not the first time, but, you know, you kind of moved, yeah. moved out of Ireland, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. And so in a similar way of trying to reinvent yourself, I guess, I certainly had that, but I had no idea who I was or how I was reinventing myself. <laughs> um, and I think I was just, for the first year, I was massively just trying to discover myself. And then by the end of the first year, going into the second year, I'd figured out what that was, told the world yeah. and suddenly started to enjoy university sure. and was having a great time. Yeah. So it's that sort of second, third year where, and then the years after, because I didn't leave, <laughs> uh, where you, it just holds a very sort of special place. I mean, in my heart, and I think for a lot of people, that university time always will i think yeah i th- i think you're absolutely right and i think it it it's changed you know it's it's not just about the qualification you know whether whether that's right or wrong or people agree with that or disagree with that um i don't really care to be honest but um it's uh yeah i think it's it's so often just you know you you go to a different city and it's you know it's a melting pot for people from all across the country and and the globe often as well and yeah it's it's it really facilitates that you know getting to know yourself like you said and i you know, it's, it's one of the main reasons I've been, I've just recently been in the process of um, pushing my brother into to going, essentially. Um, he's quite okay. excited about it now. But yeah, I think, you know, he just needs to, to go and meet some new people and figure some things out, really. And I think it's, it's a great place for doing that. She's a pain in the you've got some bark next i do i do and this is a this is a real kind of melting pot it's it's bark it's um it's brahms it's it's a symbol (laughs) i left room for the crash there um it is james rhodes who performs this particular recording it is various people in my life it's it's this is the this is the biggie i think okay in many ways (laughs) so um during one of these um these rather crazy adventures that Sam and I were on. We were in Amsterdam uh, a couple of years back, three years ago. And uh, yeah, things things got a bit out of control. And um, I ended up sustaining a, a rather dramatic hand injury. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, the doctors did an incredible job, you know, shoving, shoving a few bones around and doing their best. But, you know, the damage was done, really. And that was just a couple of weeks before my second year end of year piano performance and uh 
yeah, you know, with one hand completely out of action, I was able to, to postpone it. And with the help of my teacher, Brenda, and her former student, Claire Hammond, who uh, is a professional pianist and also featured in Lady in the Van, actually, which is cool. Oh! Yeah, so film. we... Oh, that's great. Love it. Absolutely love it. We, um, anyway, we devised to, to, to get me to do a program for left hand only on the piano because of the extent of the damage, yeah. you know, and they were saying, yeah, it's going to take so long to recover and even when it has not looking good, all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, Claire actually did a PhD on music for the left hand. So, um, yeah, she was able to, to kind of help me with the program and the plan and then vouch for the difficulty of the program so that the department would, um, would approve it. Um, so, yeah, that got scheduled for a few months down the line. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was great. And um, I think, it, it, you know, within, within a few days of it happening, this was all kind of sorted out, really. And out of somewhere I, I managed to find this I think I'm, I'm really good if things are you know challenging or certainly if people are, are doubting anything I'm really good at responding really well and when people are supportive I'm not so good so it's uh it's an interesting one but, um, <laughs> yeah so I, I kind of got right on with this and was just you know practicing furiously all the time and I mean it's it's just exhausting playing with one hand um you know trying mm. to do the job of two with with one essentially um the stamina is is incredible but yeah it was it was amazing and, and Brenda was just you know a phenomenal teacher and Claire was helping me out and doing these video lessons and all sorts as well so it was, it was a great project and I'm yeah enormously proud of it but yeah it, it was a, a fairly devastating experience for someone who was a, a, a fairly serious pianist um and you know although I was a, I was actually a, one of the few good candidates for surgery they thought they could do some really some really good stuff to it but you know I didn't want to risk it going even further wrong and being even more damaged yeah um and also after this left hand thing finished I wanted to, you know I was determined I, I thought well I'm going to get back to playing two-handed whatever that means and do my final year recital afterwards you know just a few months after that so kind of halved the amount of time I had to prepare for that and uh which I did and yeah, with, with great difficulty and discomfort and pain and making a huge number of adjustments to my technique and all sorts. But um, yeah, you know, that is that is the state of things and it is kind of permanently uh, disfigured. And, you know, played tennis the other day and, you know, holding a racket is difficult and stuff like that. So yeah, it's, it's a biggie. But um, yeah, again, it's a symbol of, you know, turning something bad into something good. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it was just really interesting, just the um, kind of tsunami of quite thoughtless uh, comments that um, people would make. Um, I don't think people really realised quite what had happened. Um, mm. So yeah, really interesting time. But uh, yeah, this piece I'd, I'd come across shortly beforehand, um, James Rhodes, a pianist, uh, mentioned it in his memoir, Instrumental. And okay. he had a he's had a fascinating life. He had, he had a childhood of sexual abuse um, with resultant kind of alcoholism and and related issues. You know, really, yeah, a, a troubled soul, but one who who really kind of found uh, sanctuary and purpose in music. And this piece was one of his his real lifelines. It's originally a violin piece written by Bach. This recording is the version for two hands piano by Ferruccio Bassoni. And yeah, I love I love James Rhodes. He's one of my heroes. It's a great piece. It's incredibly dramatic. And 
he you know he's another one of these people like Nigel Kennedy earlier who really I think gets what the point of music is and understands what exactly powerful music is and how important you know the human and humanity behind the music is as well so yeah it's a real melting pot of all those things and and this the the left hand piece I played was Brahms's arrangement of the original violin piece <laughs> and he did that as a gift for uh, Clara Schumann after she sustained an injury to her right hand so it's yeah it's, it's, it's this good old package um <laughs> You have done well. <laughs> Thank you. I'm very impressed. Thanks. It's uh, yeah. It means it means a lot to me. And again, it's like the the Shostakovich. I think it's you know it it reminds me of yeah you know, what I can do when things get tough. Yeah. Yeah. It, it in the in the God. There's no way of making this not sound awful. But um, it's one of those things where I I kind of inspire myself. Um, I suppose. <laughs> um. <laughs> if that can be taken with a handful of salt and understanding. <laughs> yeah, no, completely. I think we all need those little sort of moments and reminders in our life. Mm. So yeah, you know, so I saw those projects through and then, but as soon as my degree finished, I, I stopped playing essentially. You know, I, I was still actually with, with you at the cathedral accompanying the youth choir and I was doing a writing and recording project of my own. Um, so I was playing a little bit for that and, you know, writing songs at the piano, but, you know, didn't wasn't playing in a way that I'd consider normal um, for me. Mm. Um, and yeah, that went on for a couple of years, really, just because it was so demotivating to have to, you know, it's awkward and uncomfortable and I couldn't play a lot of the things I used to be able to play because, you know, can't make the stretches, can't get my fingers on the keys, essentially, and that sort of stuff. So yeah, yeah. really kind of um, depressing, I suppose. <laughs> um, but I've, um, I've picked it up again recently, actually, since since uh lockdown and um you know just just keeping working on relearning things adjusting technique and, and yeah trying to find find the the sort of joy among those thorns again really um yeah, so yeah it's, it's been a huge part of my life and it's it it had it, been odd not having it as part of my my kind of daily uh ritual i suppose yeah yeah i can only imagine what that must be like having to sort of relearn or like re adapt well just adapt yourself to doing something that you used to be able to do yeah it's it's odd i mean it's it, there's there's ways and you know it's, my my technique was not all um not all perfect before so actually there's there was stuff that needed to be done anyway but uh and you know it really makes you aware of any any tension you know if if yeah it's really made me relax better because <laughs> that's the, mm. the best way of yeah avoiding the discomfort so um which i you know should have been doing anyway so it's not all yeah. it's not all um you know building from negative <laughs> yeah i didn't know this arrangement of it well i didn't know the original bar oh, right. yeah i mean violin partitions aren't really my usual go-to but me neither i mean yeah it's just <laughs> i the first the first i knew of it was was the uh the piano piece that james rhodes mentioned mm. in his book and um yeah so yeah it's uh but yeah it's, it's got a, a load of different lives really which is which is great i think and just yeah again similar to what we've been talking about already just um the the very kind of active role it's played throughout history really i think that's, it's great it's a great testament to that
I just love those sort of pieces that have got so many different sort of versions and adaptations and different performers have interpreted it differently and different instruments and it just brings so many more people to it through the different avenues absolutely which is mildly interesting it is and i think you know whatever people say about um well there's two people i think john rutter you know he's he's great at that um in terms of you know different mm. versions and whatnot but also arvo pet you know a lot of what he writes you know it's kind of it'll work with these instruments pick an instrument <laughs> you know yeah yeah, yeah not not quite what you're saying in terms of other people recreating it but yeah just just that scope for variety based on you know a kind of a single source i suppose yeah and it just puts places the importance of the performer right back to the fore yeah absolutely which is amazing that we've come full circle <laughs> <laughs> just in time for your seventh track seventh track good lord this track is home to you by sigrid who is a norwegian pop star and i followed her quite religiously for a few years now and she is just great she is so unashamedly herself infectious music infectious personality utterly genuine and I think just a, a fantastic role model. You know, I think she's really redefining um, kind of what it is to be in her position in the music industry. And, you know, I've, I've got yeah. lots of grand plans to, to get my sister onto her in a, in a couple of years. Um, <laughs> she's, I think she's great. Um, and yeah, she was, she was actually in, in Rough Trade Record Store in Nottingham uh, last year. Right. I, was, I was working at Nottingham Uni at the time uh, doing an admin job. And... Yeah, I somehow missed the memo um, and it was a really small, intimate event and, you know, I could have chatted and hung out essentially and, you know, I... Oh, wow. Oh, it's one of my, my greatest um, regrets that I that I missed that. But, I, you know, I think I would have 100% pulled my first ever sickie to, to be there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I never, I, never, I never was a sickie puller with mum being a doctor. I never, never was able to get into the habit of that. So. <laughs> But yeah, this song, um, this song I discovered, uh, or was I was introduced to it by by my partner Grace uh, a few months ago, and um, uh, yeah, I love it for many reasons. I think I've I've always been of the view that that home is is a person rather than a place. Um, I think because partly because mum and I were moving around quite a lot when I was younger, and my family's always been quite diffuse. I think would be a yeah good way of putting it. Yeah, so for, for me, home has been has been mum really. And, uh, you know, I think as I grow older and eventually leave the nest, that's going to have to transfer a little bit. And I think, yeah, I think I think Grace is kind of filling a bit of that role now, really. And we met just as just as I was kind of leaving Nottingham. And uh, yeah, after a bumpy ride, she really kind of, you know, inspired me to, to turn my life around a little bit. And I think kind of taught me how to, to love myself again in a lot of ways. And yeah, I think this this song is is about that for me, really. She sounds really great. Don't lose her. <laughs> no, I won't. It's, it's been going well. We've we've been um, spending lockdown together, actually, which has been, uh, which has been interesting. Well, if anything's going to make or break it. Yeah, yeah. right, right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's been cool. We've, we've been playing through the, um, the Assassin's Creed PlayStation series, actually, which has been fantastic. Oh, gosh, that's so. something I could not relate to at all. Um, <laughs> Assassin's Creed? Is that like the Apostles' Creed? Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that all sounds really lovely. Mm. And 
uh, I've because I googled it earlier. Uh, apparently, this this music, this song was written for the film The Aeronauts. Yeah, I think it's I think it's part of the soundtrack. I haven't actually seen the film, but I think yeah. it's with uh, Eddie Redmayne and others. So yeah, I haven't I haven't seen it yet, and it's not one of Sigrid's um, biggest hits. But I, yeah, it's it's a great vocal performance as well. I think she. I, I don't know how she records, but I, I I always get the impression that she's a bit of a a bit of a one take wizard. Oh, okay. In the sense that, you know, there's never there's never anything that's copied and pasted. It's kind of it's always like a performance. Um, every yeah. chorus will be different. You know, there'll be different little vocal quirks and and expressive things. And uh, yeah, she's an incredibly skilled vocalist, I think. And um, yeah, and a great yeah, just great delivery. You really get the sense that it's you know it's fully committed. It's yeah, as if it's done in one take. And you know, mic drop sort of thing <laughs> um yeah it's, it's a great recording it's a great recording and it's i mean her best one actually is is a song called in vain and that's just the kaleidoscope of sort of vocal um sounds and colors and expressive devices and stuff is just yeah, yeah. such an amazing kind of repertoire yeah he's awesome couldn't wait till i got outside wondering what the world be like i knew i had to my mind didn't realize it would happen all so soon all so soon but i see the world so different now but there's a place by the sea and that's my town when i don't know what to say when i don't know there's a room I need to sit in Surrounded by my favorite view And I need a hand to hold So I'm to tell the truth Would it be okay if I came home to you? Thank you for that. That was lovely. Yeah, really such such a pleasure yeah thanks for having me it's um yeah it really is one of those things like i've i've loved desert island discs and it is you know it's all one of those things you think oh yeah it'd have to be this song and this song and this song you know then i've been really thinking about it for a couple of weeks and i've got this big word document with all sorts and it's just yeah really actually thinking about you know what's important to you and why it becomes this you know really uh therapeutic sort of introspection session um so yeah it's 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 been a great process and i've really reconnected with a lot of things uh musical and otherwise so thank you mm. for, for giving me the opportunity oh you're very welcome thank you so much for listening please do remember to rate review and subscribe and do check back in a couple of days time for our extra episode of bits and bobs that we couldn't quite squeeze into this episode thank you and goodbye